Hello and welcome to Nutrition 411, the podcast, a special podcast series led by registered dietitian and nutritionist Lisa Jones. The views of the speakers are their own and do not reflect the views of their respective institutions or consultant 360. Hello and welcome to Nutrition 411, the podcast where we communicate the information that you need to know now about the science, psychology, and strategies behind the practice of dietetics. Today's podcast is part of a series of short episodes on diet and Alzheimer's disease. I have the privilege of speaking with Dr. Amy Lee Amos, and we are going to take a deep dive into evidence-based practice and talk about Alzheimer's disease and the latest research. So the last episode, we discussed the latest research and the link between dietary choices and the development or prevention of Alzheimer's disease. Dr. Amy Lee, what would you say, if you had to sum up that conversation in one or two sentences, what are the key takeaways? I think the key takeaways from the last episode are that nutrition matters with regards to our cognition and are the the development or 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 lack thereof of of Alzheimer's disease, and the diet to prevent Alzheimer's, um, while it's based in something that most RDs are very familiar with, which is the Mediterranean diet, it's highly nuanced, and in the case of high risk individuals, should be. Um, implemented by somebody who is very familiar with all of the research in this realm. I agree. It sounds like a good plan. Yeah. That's what we're talking about. They're referring out. So yes, please do that. (laughs) And nutrition does matter. And it's interesting because the other day somebody was talking about, oh, the mind diet. And they're like, what's that again? And they're like, isn't that just the diet that you just eat blueberries? Like they just, for some reason, associated blueberries with the mind (laughs) diet. And they thought that's all they had to do was just check off eating blueberries every day. And they were following the mind diet. But of course, it's (laughs) more complex than that. Definitely. Yes. My (laughs) gosh. If only it were that easy, right? I know, right? Everybody would be doing it. I I do want to know, and I'm sure our audience and dietitians want to know, how can they effectively translate the latest research on diet and Alzheimer's disease into practical diet? recommendations for individuals who are at risk or diagnosed. And then how could they, the second part of that is how, how could they take into consideration the nuances of individualized or personalized nutritional needs as you were talking about earlier? Well, certainly it's a, that's a, I mean, it's a heavy question and that's a big conversation. I think in terms of translating the latest research, in my opinion, the most important thing to do as new studies pop up all the time, you see clinical trials, you know, that say this food is, is beneficial for cognition. This food is harmful. We always need to first take a step back and say, what does the nutritional epidemiology show us? What do the long-term health outcome studies show us first? Because that, that matters that, that, that shows us what's going to happen in the long term for the average person. So we need to pair that with the data from clinical trials, with the new theories that develop. And when we're making dietary recommendations, we don't want to make a dietary recommendation that might be in line with the newest clinical trial, but not in line with the vast 
literature, the nutritional epidemiology. That's, I think, a really important first step is always to, to remember what we know from all of that, to remember what we know from the centenarian studies. You know, there's a lot of talk right now about the blue zones and things like that. While that might not be the end all be all, we do need to look at that kind of information that that is helpful in kind of um, in translating all of the newer information, when we couple that with the centenarian studies, that gives us a better picture of what we're looking at. So an RD should always make sure that they're taking all of the different areas of research into account when they're going to make a nutritional recommendation. With regards to the nuances, the fact is there are so many nuances. So we talked a little bit, um, you know, last time about the uh, genetic risk factors for Alzheimer's, such as APOE4. And that is in itself a nuance. If somebody carries APOE4, we're going to do things differently. Um, there are different things to look out for, like, for example, their their blood lipids. Um, if, if you were to give an APOE4 carrier too much saturated fat, which might help them get into a state of mild ketosis, which might allow their, their cognitive function to, to, they might perform a little bit better cognitively. If the, if you've given them too much saturated fat, while it might help in the short term, it could be detrimental in the long term because we see their blood lipids skyrocket with too much of that. So it's very important to take into account the full patient in front of you. And that is a functional approach, right? We're looking at a systems biology approach. So we're not just trying to help their brain, even though of course we are trying to help that as well. We're trying to make sure that all of these body systems are working in line, which can be very difficult. So that's kind of part of why if this is for a, for an RD who's, you know, maybe interested in this, has a patient that they're working with on another condition and then just feels like they're getting in the weeds, that might be a time to refer out and, and have somebody who who does this all the time work with them. Yeah, because as I'm listening to what you were saying, like, I think, especially if we were somebody that's like relatively new in the field or a dietitian that recently graduated, and then they're trying to apply this and you get a patient that has Alzheimer's disease or a client, and you're like, what, where do I start? And a lot of times dietitians are very process oriented. So the fact that you said, okay, we, the first thing you're going to do is you're going to look at different areas of research. That's really helpful. It's kind of like, what's the step-by-step? that somebody could follow to, because we're going to have a first patient, everyone's going to have a first patient. There's the first patient that you work with, like, and the process I think really helps. At least I know for me yes. that did a long time ago, but I'm, I'm not a new dietitian anymore, <laughs> but yeah, like you kind right. of need that process. But I think specifically in the area that you specialize in, like, there's just so many, like, it's, it's just sounds overwhelming. Like, how do they, how does somebody that's new, like, so what would you recommend, say, somebody that's new and wants to do what you do, what would be, so we know what the first step is, what is the second thing that they need now do? Probably get a mentor. Um, so for, like, for what you're okay. describing, so somebody new who wants to do this, though, if this is like the goal for them, which is wonderful, we need more RDs doing this, I would, uh, you know, seek out someone who is, who does this all the time, who specializes in this area, who's going to be willing to partner with them on their first couple of patients until they kind of 
feel more confident, which as we talked a little bit about last time in our last episode, you know, that's, that's quite common in certain areas. That's pretty common in uh, RDs who specialize in eating disorders. They'll mentor RDs who want to get into that area because that's a very safe way. It's in the, uh, of getting your feet wet. That's also in the best interest of the patient. Um, so I would recommend if that's something you really want to do, find a mentor who's going to work with you on that. Um, and, and then eventually you can go off on your own once you feel more comfortable. Yeah, that is the best advice. Get a mentor. And I think that's applicable in any setting, but specifically this one with so many nuances and trying to provide that personalized or individualized nutritional care that you're doing. Absolutely. So I agree. Thank you for that. Is there anything else that you can think of that they should keep in mind? So they're going to be looking at the different areas of research. And is there also, do you have additional advice on that? If there's somebody relatively new or someone that maybe transitioned from like another type of career into doing this and they're like, what, where do I start with the research? Do you have any advice for back in the day? Like, where did you start with the research? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, obviously start attending, uh, the right kinds of conferences. So for this area, certainly functional medicine, uh, the Institute for functional medicine was where I did my postgraduate training and certification, which was wonderful, uh, very, very comprehensive training. So whether you do the training or at least start attending the conferences, you know, and, and some even like free lectures that you can find online that are through these types of institutes so that you know that they're you know, coming from a quality source, I would start there. And then um, something that was really helpful for me was kind of joining, joining up with like-minded people, getting on uh, group text message threads. And then as new research comes out, you know, people are sharing on those types of, uh, of threads, like we're sharing and kind of collaborating, discussing, that's a good way to make sure you don't miss anything big. Um, you know, so if like someone, for example, if you were just recently a student and perhaps you had peers in your, in your cohort that, uh, had similar interests, you know, join up on like a group where you, you share information that you hear, that would be a great way to kind of get started. Yes. Cause it's like, that's another thing. Like, that's a really good tip. Because a lot of times, like if you, especially if you're someone that's more generalized and you have your hands in different pots, you're, it's so hard to keep up with everything. It is. So if you have it, it really right there is. and somebody's sharing it, then you're kind of like, oh, I've heard about that or I've seen it. Now I could just go back to where I've heard about it and find out more about it before you speak on it. Because obviously the more knowledgeable we are, the better. Absolutely. So thank you. Is there any additional advice? that we haven't discussed yet that you want to add to this conversation? I think that really sums it up just that, you know, it is so important if you're, no matter what you are working in as, as clinicians, we have to keep up with the science. And that's where a problem, that's where it becomes a problem is when, you know, we, we get probably less so for the newer RDs who are feeling fresh, but for those of us who have been doing this a while, it's, it's easy to become complacent and to feel very comfortable with the recommendations we've always made. And we just kind of, you know, the cookie cutter approach becomes very easy. We, we have a responsibility as clinicians to be up with the most current research. That doesn't always mean changing everything you do based on the newest research, but knowing what it is, following along so that when the time comes where a, a change in interventions does need to occur, we're ready to do that. And we know, we know that that time has come. Yes, most definitely. 
And you've inspired me to go do more research on the Keto Flex Spare 3 diet. Is Did I say that right? Yeah, the Keto Flex 12-3, <laughs> which again, this is very oh, new, okay. no long-term research yet, just some pilot studies, but that's where it starts, right? So we've got to We've got to make sure we're staying on track and seeing where it goes. Um, it is so far, it looks very, very promising um, in terms of both the data that we have and just the, 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 the theories behind the different mechanisms um, makes a lot of sense, but future studies are already in the work. So we'll see. Yes. Looking forward to, to finding out more about that. And if there's any links or anything you want to share too with the audience, let us know that would be helpful too. Sure. Sure thing. All right. Well, thank you for that wonderful conversation and our deep dive into evidence-based practice. Thank you. For more nutrition content, visit consultant360.com.